Welcome to Surviving the Crazy. I'm Julia, and I'm on a quest to write a book. One story at a time, one month at a time. I'm glad you're here. You guys can come with me on this journey. Think of it as the slow rollout of the future audiobook. <laughs> After Napa, my life returned to a semi-normal state. I was back in school, sleep, study, work, rinse and repeat. <laughs> the only thing that changed after that Napa trip was that Todd's text messaging was much more intense. And this was not just an annoyance, it was a financially costly problem. For those of you listening, if you happen to be 40 or older, I don't need to explain this texting nonsense. But for those younger people, I am about to blow your mind. <laughs> See, back when cellular phones were invented and each cellular carrier had payment plans that used to charge for each text message sent and received. The kicker was if someone texted you, you got charged. This sounds crazy, I know, because it didn't even matter how long the text message was. Just send and receive, cha-cha-ching. You literally had to tell your friends not to text you if you were running low on cash. It's crazy to me now to think that texting was a charge. The idea of a data plan was still half a decade away. Even worse, you had no control over the incoming texts and their costs, unless you turned off your phone. Jesus, the olden days of tech were crazy. Don't even get me started on how expensive long distance phone calls were. I'm talking more than an average car payment for a 10-minute international conversation. Just send a freaking postcard. Anyways, I digress. For my plan with Verizon, texting was free if the other user was also a Verizon member. So, of course, all my best friends and I made sure to be on the same phone plan so we could text freely. We were among the few of the first generation that preferred a text over a phone call. After all, I was usually in a library, so if you wanted to get a hold of me, a text was the greatest invention since the automatic vehicle transmission. Otherwise, all phone calls were silenced until I was done studying. And that could be many, many hours, my friends. But I digress again. <laughs> so after we got home from Napa, it only took a couple days before Todd wanted my attention again. And he started texting me a lot. So much so, I would get crazy annoyed. One thing about me is that I have a very long fuse. When it comes to my temper or anger, it takes a lot. And yet, during one particularly frustrating study session about respiratory antibiotics, and they're so confusing names, Todd's text kept interrupting me, despite me texting him and asking him to stop just for a couple hours. But no, he kept sending these crazy texts. I slammed down my coffee mug and ruined several pages of Perry's notes. Oops, sorry, Perry. That's totally not like me. Besides the non-existent boundary crossing, all of his texting got expensive. I was afraid of my next bill. I had to set some texting boundaries or I would be back living in my car. I started with a simple, nice and clear text like, hey, I'm studying. I need to focus. Please only text me if it's important. <laughs> that was my idea of setting a boundary. It turns out for Todd, I had to be even more specific because sometimes he would just text, hey, question mark, 
I would roll my eyes like, dude, that's 10 cents. Please say more than just, hey, like, let me know. Is your house on fire? Did you get hit by a car? Or just call me, it's cheaper. Now, I see he was just texting in to see if I would respond and how quickly I would respond. Hmm, already controlling and obsessive. A powerful tool to wield with just a text. Then, more than once in the ensuing weeks, he would keep texting stupid stuff and I just needed to turn off my phone because he could not respect these boundaries. This man. Back in the day, a missed text was just that. It was missed. It didn't come through when the phone came back on like it does now. He didn't like that either because he just could not wrap his head around the fact that I had missed one of his very urgent, very important texts. To him, he almost seemed wounded by the fact if I had missed a text or purposely turned off my phone to miss a text, then I might as well stab his ego right in the back. One time in particular, he was being really annoying, more than usual, more than the coffee mug smashing incident. It just felt different. He wanted to know who I was studying with and what coffee shop I was at. Uh, like, why are you gonna come over? When I purposely was being vague, he got angry and sent me some mean text. Something along the lines of, I'm not friends with liars. Goodbye. WTF? What is with this guy? Was he a smart millionaire or a spoiled, egocentric trust fund baby? He never went to college. He clearly didn't know how to study or what that meant, let alone the dedication it takes to get a doctorate degree. Okay. This one time, and I am talking about this, where I missed a giant red flag. I mean, it might as well have been the flag of China draped around his shoulders just like he had won the gold medal for an Olympic competition of how to scare off a woman. But for some unknown reason, perhaps age, perhaps naivety, or just that I couldn't grasp the severity of the entire situation, I missed this flag. I missed this opportunity to run for the hills. So there I was, studying for several hours where he was sending me those mean texts, calling me a liar. And again, I was studying for several hours at that coffee shop that he wanted to know the exact name of and who I was with. So I do remember it was Wednesday evening and he was next level annoying, even for him. Besides the mean, angry, accusatory texts, soon after he started sending other texts that just didn't make sense. Not even actual words, just like jumbled letters. Eventually, I texted him that I had a really important test the next morning and that yes, I am alone. I am alone at the coffee shop. It's called Grounds for Enjoyment. And no, he didn't do anything wrong. I just really need to be interrupted and have time to focus. Therefore, I will be turning off my phone for the rest of the evening and morning until after my test. Oof. Phone off. Click shut. Back to studying. I didn't think much of it at the time. I crammed my ass off and subsequently the next day I felt like I did quite well on the test. I was satisfied. And yes, it turns out I did do quite well on that test. (laughs) When I called him the next day to gloat about my test and my performance, he seemed down, clearly sad and a loss for words on the phone, which was quite strange for him. He usually had a lot to say. He loved to talk about himself. (laughs) He was never at a loss for words for that. He seemed upset with me, which of course, my personality makes me really sad. Somehow I had let him down. 
but dear lord, I just turned off my phone for less than 12 hours. Finally, he told me a strange story. Let's pause for a second. Can you listeners see the red flag waving in the distance? Like you're a race car turning the last corner of the track and this flag is off in the distance. Well, here it comes. Okay, here we go, the story. He told me that the evening before that his house cleaner, which by the way, she had worked for Todd for over 10 plus years. Well, evidently she had come over that evening before when I turned off my phone. I'm not sure why she came over. I don't recall him saying. He said that she had brought her teenage son along and that he had offered to take him for a ride in his Bentley. And then ultimately he let him drive his Bentley. Wow. That was quite generous of him, I thought. What a cool experience for this kid. Then he told me that before they left, he wasn't feeling very well, and he probably shouldn't have been so nice, but the kid was begging. So he went for a short drive with the kid anyways, but by the time they came back to the house, he was feeling sick. Okay. And then his house cleaner for some reason panicked and called 911 to get him help. Whoa, yikes, 911, what happened, Todd? Are you okay? Oh my God. He said, yeah, it was nothing. But luckily for him, he had really good friends who really cared about him. Um, okay. Then he went on to say that our acting medical director of Air Rescue Division, his real friend, came down to the ER and checked him out and took him back to his house and dropped him off. Thank God for his real friend, Jeff. Otherwise, he would have to stay all night. But he is fine now. Wow. Well, I'm glad you're fine, Ton. I remember being totally surprised. Although I had been an EMT for the past five years, and I had been on hundreds of calls with their rescue, I had never known anyone personally that needed an ambulance or emergency care. I was really concerned. He seemed upset about it, too. He asked if I could come over to be with him. Of course I can do that. Never mind my test. He didn't even ask about it once. But I am a true friend, and when someone needs me, of course I will drop everything and go be with you. It's the kind of person I am. So I drove the hour to his house to stay with him that night. He seemed a little shaky and shy and certainly didn't want to talk about it. We ordered dinner and watched a movie, sitting close enough for him to put his arm around me. Then we went to bed, in separate rooms of course. And to bed early, of course. After all, I had an 8 a.m. class and therefore I would need to leave by 5.30 a.m. to avoid traffic and get there on time. Plus, he clearly wasn't feeling well, so it seemed like he needed a good night's sleep too. We slept, well, I did, anyways, and I was out of the house at 5.30 and off to school I went. All right, where do I even start with all the missed clues in this story? Because there were many. First up, the incoherent texting. What was that? Um, the term drunk texting hadn't yet made its way to the mainstream peoples, <laughs> aka me. That is what he was doing, drunk texting. Damn, on a Wednesday in the early afternoon? Hmm. Second, his house cleaner regularly checked in on him on her days off? This turns out not to be a missed sexual red flag, but a different one I will touch on later in this story. Third, in my telling of the story, I just glanced over the fact that he called Jeff his real friend, implying that I was not, setting up the guilt trip. Fourth, 
What is the medical director of the sheriff's air rescue unit doing bailing out the commander of the drunk tank at the ER who ended up there from drinking alone on a Wednesday? This wasn't even a Vegas incident or something more acceptable like that to get drunk over. Then, not even investigating what happened, and you still think that this man is fit to be the commander of such a dangerous unit? Dear Lord. And fifth, I don't even know his house cleaner that well, but most people don't call 911 because someone is feeling a little sick, or even a lot sick. Most people call 911 when they truly believe there's an emergency and someone's life is in serious danger or serious injury. What did he do to alarm her so much, then brush it off to me? And lastly, why the heck was I so nice to him? Why should I take the time out of my busy school schedule to drive all the way to his house for a couple hours and then all the way back? Oh, that's right, because he guilt-tripped me into it by mentioning that I wasn't a true friend. Well, that nice girl inside me, that people-pleaser, wanted to prove him wrong, so I came to comfort him at the drop of a hat. Ugh. All those little red flags that I had missed to this point really just came one big giant red banner. But let's jump forward a second on this story. Let's jump forward in time because it would be years later that I found out the truth about that particular incident from the house cleaner and connected the dots backwards of what really happened that evening. It all made so much more sense. Of course, under the clear lens of the past, with full knowledge of the present. <laughs> Doesn't everything? The way that evening went down really was, he was already heavy into drinking by early afternoon that day. Why? Who knows? He was an egocentric alcoholic. It didn't really take much to set him spiraling into a binger. Hence the annoying drunk text. It turns out, the house cleaner was in the neighborhood with her son, as she often was, because his father lived nearby and it was her turn to take custody for the night. She decided to stop by and see if he needed groceries or food, as she often did. Because, it turns out, she had a long history of enabling him by getting him food when he was too drunk to do so for himself. Remember, this scenario occurred two decades before Uber Eats. She knew his drinking habits, she was familiar with the type. Her ex-husband was an alcoholic. She thought she was doing the community a favor by getting him food rather than risking him drive drunk. Well, perhaps she was doing all the members of the community a favor, but in doing so, from sparing them from his drunk driving, it did prevent him from having consequences from his actions as well. After all, the guy never had a speck of real food in his giant 36-inch side-by-side sub-zero refrigerator combo in gorgeous stainless steel. Well, except that tequila and orange juice? Weird, I thought. <laughs> it took me several years to figure out what that combo was all about as well. Anyways, back to that particular day. For some reason, she allowed her 16-year-old son into the car with a guy that seemed mildly intoxicated. Maybe because they were just going around the block? don't know. She did say she felt much better when her son was allowed to drive. <laughs> Shit. He trusted a 16-year-old boy with his quarter-million-dollar Bentley more than the actual adult? Clearly, he was not in his right mind. He didn't trust anyone with that thing, barely even the valet, if they were lucky. Somewhere in the driving adventure with that boy, Todd became incapacitated in the passenger seat. Yep. Past 
out cold, mid-drive. Now, the house cleaner had, on a number of other occasions, left him on the floor of his own home for him to sleep it off. But this time, she said it felt different. He passed out in the Bentley within one block of leaving the house. Her son drove the car back and they tried to get him awake and out, anything, but nothing worked. She said they even put ice all over him. <laughs> Can only imagine the damage that did to his precious leather seats. He wouldn't budge and she wasn't sure about his breathing, so she called 911. After they took him, she locked up the house and went home. Business as usual with this guy. When he came to in the ER, he managed to spin the tail in another way. Who knows which way? All I know is that Jeff, the medical director to the air rescue unit, was called in the middle of the night, drove over an hour, and checked out Todd from the ER and took him back to his house under his care, supposedly. Todd and Jeff swept the whole thing under the rug like it never happened. When I arrived the next evening, he was slow, like a guy recovering from the flu. My naive mind would never have figured out that he had a hangover. In fact, at that point in my life, I had never had a hangover. It would be later to be Todd who introduced me to the delight of binge drinking and hangovers. Ugh, thanks Todd. So he was feeling low and just wanted to hug and snuggle on the sofa. I grabbed us some takeout and enjoyed the evening in. I should have headed for the hills. This guy was clearly trouble. After all, why was he getting plastered by midday on a weekday all by himself? Why would a doctor need to check him out of the ER? The same doctor that was responsible for all the members of the air rescue team and making sure they were fit for duty. Was he so upset that I turned off my phone and ignored him? So upset to cause this big binge drinking incident? Yep, yes he was. That is all it took for him to lose it and drink himself half poisoned and wallow in his presumed rejection. It was a few days after the ER incident that my monthly cell phone bill came in the mail. Typically, I would pay $45 a month for a certain number of phone minutes that you would buy and then pay 10 to 20 cents per text depending on who the other person's network was. That month, my bill was over $500. Holy shit! All from Todd. I couldn't afford $500. I didn't even have that much in my checking account for rent and food combined. I drove to his work after school that day. <laughs> Heaven forbid I spend one more dime on my precious prepaid cellular minutes on him. At this point, the price of gas and driving was cheaper than texting him. I kindly came into his office. I tried to avoid his undeserved glare at me, and then I showed him the bill. Remember, all my friends and family were Verizon customers, so their texts were free. Each text that was charged to my account had the incoming phone number next to it. All his. Let me do the math for you real quick. From the time we got back from Napa until the next bill came, he managed to text me 1,000 times in under three weeks. That's an average of 50 texts a day from this guy. No wonder I was so annoyed with him. I told him angrily that he needed to pay this bill and to just freaking call me when he wants to talk. These ridiculous texts are too expensive. He reluctantly reached into his drawer and pulled out five $100 bills. Here, he said with a chip on his shoulder. Ugh, what a jerk. 
I took the money and left without even saying thank you, which by the way went against every bone in my body. He did not deserve to be thanked for causing this stress. All right, let's fast forward again for just a moment. To make this particular incident even more ridiculous, over the next several years, he would bring this up, this very repayment, spun in his own way, of course, such as, remember when I had to help you out with your phone bill? Ha ha ha, I always had to bail you out with money in school. Ugh, I would just roll my eyes inside and think, you caused it, that wasn't help. I was just owning up for you being crazy and possessive. Anyways, I digress again, back to the story. After he gave me the money, I didn't hear from him for a week. Huh, silence. It was a nice break to study uninterrupted. He probably thought he was punishing me by being silent. But Todd's solution to the excessive texting was more excess. A week later, when it was my next shift at the air rescue hangar, there he was with my favorite latte and a big grin on his face, waiting to meet me in the parking lot. Hmm, what? He said, I have solved your problem. What problem? Your cell phone problem. No, I don't have a cell phone problem. I have a friend problem. He looked mildly annoyed with my answer and even held back my drink from his hand until I was listening to him. Okay, I said, still a little annoyed. What? He said loudly and enthusiastically, I bought you a work phone. He was so pleased with himself. He said I could have this new phone free of charge. I could call and text all I want to anyone I want. It's paid for under his business plan. A win-win. Hmm, asterisk here. What he really meant was he could text me all he wanted and he didn't have to pay for it. Wow, <laughs> did seem like a really good deal especially for someone on a student budget. Hmm, see, this guy isn't a jerk after all, I thought. That was super nice of him. He said, look at all the money I can save without needing my own phone. I could just use this one. A free phone sounded pretty nice to me. Besides, I could always just keep my old phone, just in case. So I took him up on his generous offer, and things were really great. I sure enjoyed all of those free texts and long distance phone calls. My friends and family did as well. I really enjoyed this friendship perk. <laughs> I talked and texted so many people. It was great connecting to my old friends and family. Plus, Todd never complained about the cost. Even better, I never saw a bill. It was just a magic phone with magic minutes. Oh, but I hadn't yet learned. Behind every good deed from Todd came with a price. So, the backstory. Remember how my original bill I showed him had all the charges and text numbers from who they came from? It turns out, back then, you could also get a printout of the whole text conversation from the carrier company just by asking. Yes, they would print out all the text messages themselves not just the phone numbers, dates and times. All you needed was to be the owner of the phone. Uh-huh, which he was. It didn't matter that it was a company phone. It was his company. He owned them all. Think about the implications. Because back then, I sure did not. 
It wouldn't be until nearly 15 years later and after he was dead, when I was packing up his office, oh, you are gonna love this one. I found multiple files dating all the way back to then and that phone. Now, his office contained an explosion of personally damning files, but this one was just wow. Okay, after he gave me that phone, every month he had all the text messages printed out and filed them for the next five years. Every text message, people. Thousands of pages. Every text. And even highlighted numbers he thought would be suspicious. Then he had his IT guy try to figure out who this person was and am I cheating on him with them? Oh my god, just fucking crazy. I didn't even have time to take a shower half the days and this guy was going line item through my phone calls and text messages for years? Thinking back, it made so much sense. Many conversations we had, I was sure he had a hidden camera in the house or some type of spy. He knew too many private details. Details I knew he wasn't there to hear. Specific details about friends and family. Thank God I was always honest with him because he was sure looking for me not to be. He did stop though, finally. And why? <laughs> it was not because I caught him or confronted him. Nope, I never knew. It was, drum roll, the invention of the iPhone <laughs> and the new idea of personally owned iCloud data. For the first time in history, the data on the phone could be separate from the device and owned by separate people. He did not have permission from Apple to be privy to my conversations, even though he did purchase my iPhone. He would need my permission to access my texts and phone calls. I wonder if this was the one reason he was so against me or any of his management from getting an iPhone. After all, he was spying on many of them too. Yep, I found all those files. And yes, I did skim through some of those conversations. I know, I think that makes me a little guilty too. These files from over a decade ago were like some weird time machine. Also, by the way, on an unrelated and related side story to this filing nightmare, the, some of the drawers next to the cell phone files were also multiple private investigation files where I had been followed and photographed by a private investigator on multiple occasions, spanning several years. One surveillance was of me during my first pregnancy. Ew, who would want to cheat with a very pregnant lady? Ugh. To make it more creepy, it wasn't just me. There were ex-girlfriends, the ex-wives, even some employees. Why would he keep all of this after the fact? If a private investigator did not find anything on the person, why keep the files? Did he pull them out and look at them from time to time? Did it make him feel powerful? It's the strangest feeling to see photos of yourself in a situation where you are sure you are alone. Just sends chills down the spine. I still can't help but feel like I'm being followed from time to time. It's a hard thing to get out of your head. Too bad I didn't know all of this back then. Big, giant, red flags. I was too happy, naive, and blissfully enjoying my free phone. Just goes to show there's no such thing as a free lunch.